September, the Stanley Cup final instead of training camp. It's 2020. It's a little different. And uh, this is going to be a lot of fun because a good sign that the world is returning to normal as we bring you into Ingold Radio, the podcast, Aaron Millard, along with the co-founders of Ingold Magazine, David Hutchison and Kevin Woodley. Uh, Ingold Radio, the podcast, uh, pleased to reunite with our sponsor, the Hockey Shop, Source for Sports Surrey. And uh, Woody and Hutch, uh, the pandemic took a toll on uh, a lot of people, a lot of parts of our lives, uh, disrupted uh, so many uh, of our traditions, but this is uh, this is nice to be back in lockstep, uh, Hutch. Couldn't be happier than to have our friends from the hockey shop back. It feels like hockey is back with the, uh, the playoffs have been absolutely fantastic for us, and we've got kids back on the ice, at least in BC, um, and Cam is back with Woody. So yeah, it it's almost feels like normal, Woody. Were you wearing masks while you're doing the segment? Uh, we took the masks off for the segment, but I have long cords on the recorder, so we made sure we observed social distancing as we were talking. I brought two microphones in so we could sort of be spaced apart. Um, probably a little easier on the sound edits, too, there, Hutch. We're not <laughs> echoing could over be, top of be. each other. Um, and uh, they do, you do, I mean, you feel comfortable in the store. Um, most of the staff wears masks. Uh, they'll ask you what your comfort point is, what you'd prefer, and sort of make sure that they want to make you feel comfortable. No surprise that they're ahead of the curve in terms of, you know, like booking appointments for fittings for uh, goalie gear. Like if you want to get Cam and his expertise uh, in there uh, and have a sort of sit down and really go through a full lineup, you can sort of arrange that in advance. So it is nice to be back. I did feel a little bit for Cam today, though, um, because I haven't been in there in six months. So like you can imagine, I I didn't touch everything. Well, I didn't touch everything. I didn't do my normal, you know, like, put my hand in every glove and, you know, and test the break. Well, you but I, did, I, I didn't flex every stick. I actually didn't touch any of them, but I just basically walked around and looked at gear for like 30 minutes. So it's a little easier on them. And then I'm not taking it off the shelf and making them put it back. But uh, I was still made myself annoying as can be. But despite my, uh, my ability to sort of just hover and be around and be annoying, uh, we had a lot of fun, and it was good to good to catch up with him, and and good to chat gear again. Because there's, there's with, a lot without, of new gear since the last time you were in. There. Yeah, we got lots to catch up on, and some of it is stuff that we've talked about here at Ingle before. But we're gonna make our way through because that's the beauty. Um, not just our feedback, uh, and and we do a pretty good job, I think, of having multiple testers, but starting to get feedback from Cam at retail, the people he's selling it to, the guys in the store who are taking it out and testing it. Just that other layer of feedback on all these lines. And we're going to start today with CCM access line. I'll start with the pads. And then next week we're going to go rather than do all the gloves and everything together. Next week we're going to jump right over to the Bauer ultrasonic pads. So uh, two of uh, two of the products that we've hit on, but we're going to get another layer of expertise by having cam weigh in on uh, you know all the subtle little things that they're seeing and some of the ways that they're ordering them when they're do custom orders, you know, sort of that specs that they find their customers are liking um, when they want to order it uh, outside of sort of what stock. There's there's another layer of expertise coming to the Access Review, though, too, isn't there? It's an the international ultimate. review this time. Yes. They've been tested. I, I haven't seen any on it. No, I guess we did see the one on ice photo. I know there's been some serious couch <laughs> testing going on in Las Vegas, yes, there Nevada. Has. 
I, I was wearing my uh, my pads, uh, CCM Access pads, uh, playing with the strapping uh, as I've been watching games uh, during the course of the Stanley Cup playoffs, and then I got to go on the ice with them, and uh, I will say this, uh, as somebody that was probably two or three lines behind, uh, I cannot believe how much pucks explode off the face of the CCM access pads. It just flies off and those rebounds just are not there for anybody to to whack home and and jam away at. It's it's awesome. I, I I'm I'm in love. And you well, were in funny. CCM before. And I was in CCM I was in the Retroflex yeah. uh before. But uh but again uh probably a few years old. Uh and and I was uh, I'll be flat out, uh, I'm old school. Uh, so the idea of having a pad that the puck exploded off of, I, I had trouble getting my head around. And in in our conversations with uh, with you uh, too and, uh, and talking to different goaltenders and hearing the benefits of it, uh, I was certainly looking forward to experiencing it. And yeah, not that I was playing at a high level, but it's it's really neat and unique, and uh, and you and I see how you can use it to your advantage. And uh, I know Kelly Rudy was talking about it on a Hockey Night in Canada the other night uh, about how you can you can place pucks in in good spots, high end zones in a way, and almost use it as a as a pass if you if you get that opportunity. And and he's right on the money with that. Well, well, you, yeah. you said old school meets new school, Darren. I saw a two pad stack with Axis put the puck up and over the glass out of play the other day. So there really? you go. Yeah, literally. Wow. Yeah, so well, it's, uh, it's a whole new two-pad stack variety. Trying to get over. our head around a lot of different things, and one of those is uh, you mentioned whether or not Woody and Cam were wearing masks while they were doing the interview. And I immediately went to, <laughs> were they trying on the, the, the access the goal mask? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's what I went to, thinking, well, these two goalie uh, guys, uh, so deep, deep into it, maybe they were doing that. But the, then you're talking about the uh, the COVID masks and uh, and getting through that. Uh, should also mention, speaking of masks, one of my favorite masks of all time, Jenny Nabokov of uh, the San Jose Sharks, and then uh, finished off uh, around the National Hockey League, New York Islanders. Uh, he is going to join us in our feature interview today, and Navi chats with uh, with Kevin Wood. So uh, looking forward to that, but uh, with the Hockey Shop and Source for Sports, Source for Sports Surrey back with us, uh, it's nice to uh, have our gear segment, Woody. Yeah, let's uh, let's kick it off. Let's get Cam on board here and just let's let's roll it off. We were, we we're pretty excited to uh, to get going. Welcome back. And I mean, welcome, welcome, welcome back. Because it's been far too long since we've been here to Goalie Heaven, or as you know it through the podcast, the hockey shop, Source for Sports in Surrey. We are back in the basement where it is wall-to-wall goaltending. I dig a bit of a break. COVID. You guys have been running steady, though, for a long time here. Welcome back. Cam Matwiv to the Ingle radio podcast we are so happy to be back here so happy to be talking gear again with you and have you on the podcast update us on what's been going on obviously social distancing um we had to take a little bit of a break but we're back so i've been busy how's it been going here for the past few months it's been a while it's been like six months i miss you buddy it's been too long and without getting too gushy on you you know i missed your face too even though it is a radio face but it's here Face for radio. That's face for radio. See, we're starting with a shot already. Nice. It's right back where we left well, off. Well, it was great that he also even pronounced my last name right, which is fantastic. It's been long enough, but you still got the pronunciation. I missed you enough 
to not butcher your last name. That's that's that says something right there. See how excited we are? We're just we're happy to be here. Happy to be here. So yeah, things have been busy. The shop's been um, you know picking back up again, which is fantastic. We've seen that push back to hockey. Um, we're set up in here quite well for um, uh, distancing purposes. We're limiting uh, the amount of people in the shop at one time just to keep people apart. So it's still that same great service uh, you guys come to expect, but uh, sometimes it's from behind a mask. Now, the one thing that you guys continue pretty much throughout was online ordering. And I thought that that's, that's one thing where even there are still going to be people out there that are listening to this that aren't comfortable. Or let's be honest, we've got a lot of people across the country that um, have reached out and purchased stuff through you after hearing about it on the podcast. How is that expertise that you guys have established in terms of being able to listen to a goalie over the phone, maybe look at a picture over an email and be able to set them up with what they need? How has that paid off uh, during the course of this? First of all, a huge shout out to everyone that has mentioned uh, us when they call in um, and mentioned that you heard about us on the podcast. It's fantastic to hear that feedback from you and thank you all. It's helped us uh, definitely move forward, especially when we were closed there. But uh, that all said... Um, yeah, I mean, our mail order business has been fantastic right now, um, and you know we're definitely here at all times um, through email, through the website, or on the phone number, which I'll give my beautiful radio voice later for. Okay, so Hockey Shop, Source of Sports, Surrey, if you're here in Vancouver, or anywhere in the Lower Mainland, and as we've said before, we've had people drive up from Seattle to come here quite often. Obviously, you can't cross the border just yet, but if you're from as far away as Calgary, we have people come make the trip, or when they're in town on business, they come and see Cam down here at the hockey shop to get the best service, the best opinions, get set up with a gear that's going to fit your game and make you a better goaltender. Um, it's been a bit of a weird time in that a lot of the product we're going to go over, like we have so much to go over. We're going to start today with the CCM access line. We're going to move through probably over to the ultrasonic line next week. These are products that We've done some reviews on uh, at ingolmag.com, but I wanted to talk to you about was the feedback you're hearing from customers and people and and your testers and and the guys that work with you here in the shop that are out playing the position. Um, it's kind of a weird year in that these are normally products that would launch in April, and here we are in mid-September just getting ready for hockey. And for a lot of people, they're seeing them for the first time. Has that been has been education been a big part of? Um, working with people as they come back in the store for the first time after months away. Yeah, it definitely has been. I mean, you know, if we're going to kind of narrow our focus on to kind of one thing right now, you know, like, hey, let's bring up like the CCM access pad in particular. Um, we've definitely had a lot of interest and a lot of questions coming out. It's a little bit harder because giving personal feedback on something when even myself has been off the ice for close to six months has been quite hard. That said, for me, it's been a lot of time to do my own homework and dive into the actual specifications of the pad a little bit more, the build, and you know why, for example, the CCM access might be right for you. So let's go through that. We've obviously had a chance, and I'm in the same boat as you. I haven't been on the ice. Um, we have some, some health issues in the family and at home that just make caution um, necessary, frankly. So uh, my beer league has started. Uh, they've started without me in goal, which means um, they're probably spoiled by competent goaltending for a change. Um, but I'm kind of with you. But what we've done is we've leaned a lot on um, our junior testers, the guys who are back on the ice, uh, whether it's in goalie camps or getting ready for their junior camps. We actually, and, and I gotta be honest, we have had now three junior A goaltenders test the CCM access line and order it within days. So we're getting some positive feedback. Let's let's start with the who it's for part, the break, 
and the flex and the fit and the feel in your mind of the CCM Axis Pro Pad and sort of where it fits in, having replaced the Premier Pad. And we'll get to that because it's on sale. On sale. That's a great way to come back to the Hockey Shop segment at Ingle Radio Podcast with a chance to save money. But this is a departure in a lot of ways. So talk about the similarities maybe between this and the Premier and the differences. Yeah, I mean, it's way easier to kind of go over differences than it is similarities, other than the fact that it's got CCM slapped on it. Um, to be honest, yeah, we basically have to start from the beginning and kind of look at this pad and look how it's kind of evolved. So basically, I mean, CCM, you couldn't put out a Premier 3 um, at this point. It was time for a change. It was time to, for them to, to update um, their pad line into what you know has become more of that modern style of the evolution of what it, we call a stiff pad. Um, so basically, yeah, bottom line, who's this pad for? Um, it's a very stiff pad um, designed to be a lot more rigid in the butterfly, sit nice and tall. You are going to be relying on your angles and you're blocking a little bit more with this to a bit of a degree. Um, I find um, even when I did have a chance to test it out, and this was actually a year ago when I got a chance to, to try it on and very in the early stages, um, a lot of support in the butterfly allows you to sit nice and tall, a lot of rigidity to the pad, but that pays off in a nice solid seal all the way throughout. Okay, now we're talking rigidity, but that's up from the shin through into the thigh rise cam. What's different primarily from a Premier, or especially I should say from a Premier, is that boot is different. Flatter angle, softer flex. This is not a premier boot where it's steep angle and a stiff flex. This is a lot more like an e-flex boot in terms of angle and flex. Um, the ability to sort of... Soft's not the right word. Flex, I guess, is the right word. But it's, it's comparable, more comparable to e-flex. In fact, the build of the core is pretty much an e-flex with a stiff everything stiff from sort of the shin up. It's actually a build that NHL goaltenders were able to get on custom order, but nobody else was. As you said, it's where the game is going, flexible down low, but structure up top. Mm -hmm. And and you've seen that from other competitors, which will be another episode one other day. But uh, that said, yeah, you're 100% correct. Um, With that uh, boot that's a little bit more flexible now, even in comparison to previous models, you know, i.e. the Premier and whatnot, that allows you to get over top of your shin a little bit more with your knee. That's helping you, especially in your forward crouch, any reverse VH positions, which is a hot contested topic recently. Um, But it gives you, again, that, that good forward motion where if you have something too rigid, the pad will just kick itself up higher and higher on you as you try to crouch forward. This allows the pad to sit on your skate and stay there without basically hovering up in a way that you would see um, uh, a lot of the stiffer, older pads that we saw in the past that used to happen quite a lot. And this is also allows you, because of that flex, you can get a deep push, a deep flex down there while still maintaining more connection. So you can wear it a little tighter down at the bottom, whereas a Premier was a pad that was designed to be worn pretty much loose throughout. Correct, yeah. You're, basically, the word I think we were all looking for there is connection um, and the connected feel to the pad, which you know to me has been a big marketing point of that Axis pad itself is that more connected feel you have, or for example, I have when I tried it out and then I've had in previous like premieres or even let's rewind back to RBK days and things like that. Well, those were pads that were designed to basically move around your leg and fit loose. This is one where still does a lot of that up top, but like as you said, and I think... This is, we're a little rusty, buddy. So it took us a while to come to that word, that connection to the pad down at the bottom that allows you to sort of play with a lot of that power and flexibility that goalies are looking for these days. Now, speed skin stock, 
Um, we can talk about the graphics a little bit, but first of all, uh, in terms of that shape, a little bit stiffer on the inside edge. It's got the speed skin. They've definitely cut some weight, thinner profile. We were we were amazed at how light it was. And the feedback we're getting uh, from these junior A goalies that have tested it with us is the like the rebounds are stiffer because they've got the active rebound technology in the face and the sliding is notably improved. And there's been a couple times over the years where we've had testers that, you know, frankly, weren't getting speed skin. And so um, they, they, the first time in it would be our test set and that's why they felt it slid better. But in this case, two of the junior A guys were actually guys that were in speed skin and E-flex and they still felt a difference in how well this slid. In their minds, it's a combination of that, that firmer, stiffer inside edge and that thinner profile. They feel speed skin and axis goes, goes together like hand and glove in terms of that sliding. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot to cover there in what you just pointed out. And, you know, let's talk about the sliding and how and why it has improved. Because the speed skin itself hasn't changed, but how the pad actually contact the ice um, has. Um, the calf plate, one of the biggest important upgrades you're going to see. And to see how CCM has actually raised and puffed out the calf plate to give a bit more stability. When a lot of times you'll see it flat. Um, some of their companies you've seen use shin pillows and things like that, some of which are legal, some of which are legal well most let's be honest the, the pillows are legal right up to the nhl yeah exactly and that's what i mean by legal versus legal that said um what you have here now raises and changes the pressure um uh, that you're putting down onto the ice and actually alleviate some of that pressure so in theory there's still the same amount of surface area contacting the ice between a premier and an axis pad however what changes now is how much pressure is contacting that so you know something's contacting the more pressure you put down the more resistance if i leave up and can alleviate some of that pressure and rejig where we're at that increases your slideability of the pad rebounds max rebound um, got the technology in it in terms of we, we they used to call it adipine plus it was adipine adipine plus easy for me to say um, that was a product that, a foam that they had through Adidas and we used to have the balls and we'd bounce them and one ball would hit the ground and die and the other ball would hit the ground and bounce all the way back up as high as you dropped it that foam the bouncy one they put that in the face of this one to try and encourage more active rebounds, which we all know goaltenders are, are trying to get towards. Correct. So max rebound debate in the, or debuted in the Premier 2, and now we see it in the Axis pad. Now it's max rebound plus. So it's even better. It's got a plus Thicker. sign at the end of it. Yes. They put Thicker. more. It's better. It's exactly. And yet the pad still weighs noticeably less compared to the premier that's correct you know what you're gonna ask me exactly how much it weighs and i'm gonna be like hey i'll direct you to my beautiful website which has all that information on it or you could check out ingolmag.com because it's at the top of our review as well that's the beauty of this partnership we both got reviews to tease um changes on the inside uh quick motion strapping kind of remains the same uh we we like the uh the 3d knee stack that they've developed there uh, any other features you want to call out there on the access pad? Correct. Uh, so quick motion strap has gone just through a little bit of a refinement. You just see it a little bit more segmented now, so it adds a little bit more wrap, a bit more of a connected feel what the guys were looking for, but even though still adding a little bit of rigidity, whereas uh, on the Premier 2, you would find it was just a soft piece of foam. Here they've segmented some stiffer pieces of uh, um, low-density foam just to get it a little bit more of a connected wrap feel to the pad. Um, other than that, in terms of leg channel-wise, you're looking at something that's not 
too unfamiliar for a CCM, you know, premier pad, open leg channel, which is always still what they've gone with. But again, that quick motion strap is what really giving you that connected feel to the pad for sure. Okay. So we're going to stick with the pads today. We'll save the gloves and blocker for another day. But before we, before we kind of move on and, and let's talk quickly about the graphics on the other side. Um, Obviously, there, there's a printed graphic on this one as well. It's interesting because it really gives you options. You can mix and match the colors, have color on white background, or you can just blend different shades and tones of the color. And that's actually, I think you've got right now a red and black one, just two primary colors. Solid color pad crew, as our friend at the Goldnet would say. Great look. Um, I've come around on sort of, having the same colors throughout on this pad versus really mixing and matching. We went crazy with our set and tried to change everything up and just have as many different tones as we could. But the tone on tone of this graphic really pops. So options are fantastic. However, options can be overwhelming. Um, this is one of those pads that before you knock the graphic, sit and actually spend some time on the customizer and then make your judgment. Um, a, a lot of initial feedback and even my own, like personal reaction to the pad was like, okay, that's a lot. But after I spent some time with the customizer and found some um, colors that have worked really well, um, I really do like the tone on tone graphic, which you see uh, on our wall and in our um, source exclusive pads in particular. Um, those just, it seems to pop the best on the pad. But that said, like I, I would say, you know, especially with the addition of the UV graphics and things this year, you got to sit down, you got to play with the customizer before you judge this graphic for sure. Yeah, we did like, you know, we did things like green over blue, um, different shades of blue, things like that. And it worked. I thought I thought ours popped, but I actually saw a lot of white base sets with just little accent colors. And then it like you have, you have red on red with the UV. And I think that pops actually, you know, basically I'm going to slag the job I did on the customizer. I love our pads, but it, when I see different ways that those graphics have been used, I think there were ways I would do it differently myself now. And that, to me, that speaks to the fact that this is a pad you can make look a lot of different ways. I think you're missing the tire pump to, to me here. You know, next time you can call me, I'll design your pads for you. Cam, I believe, is that you offering your services? Does people want to call you, you'll do the design for them, just give them colors or what? Uh, is this the time where we get to put in the phone number plug? I think it's the time. 604-589-8299. Reach me anytime. Okay. So that's for pad design, custom Cam Matt with hockey shop pad design. You mentioned source specs. Is there anything that you've got uh, in terms of the axis that is specific to the store or something you chose to do a little differently than a stock pad everywhere else? Or did you pretty much go with stock here? I think I'll leave you on a bit of a cliffhanger here because in the pro, we've kind of put a bit of our own spin on it, but we got a whole different monster altogether for that A1.9, which is that mid-level pad, but I think that's for another day. Okay. So we're going to save A1.9. The pro is pretty much stock then? That's correct. Uh, barring a few minor um, things that we have switched around on a few different pads, which are all called out up on the website, but you can always give me a call to go over it. Okay. Now, before we let you go, and we've been going a long time, because I just missed you. I wanted to talk a lot. Um, Premier. Every time we have something new, and normally this is February or March we're talking about this, instead it's September. If you're a beer leaguer um, and you don't want to go full pop on the latest and greatest, if you happen to just absolutely love the Premier 2 pad line, and you're looking to save some money, sort of stock up on a couple, now is the time. Regular price, 2000 Did I see correctly? You originally had it down to like 1600 and now it's down to 1400 for a Premier 2 pad? That's correct. Yeah. They're, uh, they're That's there Canadian, folks. That's that is Canadian. Canadian. That's like three cups of coffee in the U.S. right now. 
Yes, that's correct. I mean, for all you U.S. folk, though, unfortunately, I can't ship across the border, especially when it comes to CCM. So, Just, you know a guy, somebody knows a guy at a border or something. Actually, I guess the borders are a little tougher these days. Okay. If you get paid in U.S. funds and you live in Canada, like somebody who's talking into the mic right now, this is a hell of a deal. There you go. There, that's the way to go. How much you got left of that Premier 2 stock? Uh, we got a couple sets left off the top of my head. You got me, but I'm staring at a nice all-black set. It's a 33-2 right now. I know I got a couple 34 ones on the wall as well in some varying different colors. Okay. So we have pretty much hit it all. We got the new Axis pad. We're off to a roaring start with the return of the Hockey Shop Source for Sports. Make sure you check them out at thehockeyshop.com. Back on the podcast with In Goal Radio, In Goal Radio, the podcast. And we capped it off with a sale price. Cam, home run in the first episode. I know I got a mixed metaphor with the sports there, but way to go. Top shelf, all that stuff. Uh, I'm excited about this, as people can probably tell by my voice. And I've had very little sleep. Um, Thank you very much for rejoining us. I look forward to being back in the shop every week. Not a problem, Kevin. Oh, it's good to hear you two back together and uh, doing what you guys do best and talking goaltending and talking gear at uh, Source for Sports Surrey and the Hockey Shop. Uh, this is uh, this is my first endeavor into a flat face pad and uh, a stiffer pad. So uh, just to give me, and, and it slides really well too. So I, I don't want to go all off on uh, on a tangent here in my experiences, but just, uh, just a footnote, uh, Woody, on, on some of the commentary that you had with Cam. Well, I think the commentary we had with Cam sort of matches the feedback we're getting from the guys that are testing it through us. And I think that is one of the downsides of everything that's going on with COVID is is the lack of sort of the ability to go out and demo a pad. And that was a bit of a tough break for CCM on this one because it was such a departure from their past lines. And so uh, I think there was a lot of hesitation from people because it was so different and the uncertainty of what this pad is, what it was supposed to be, how it was supposed to work. And, you know, I think we, I think we did a pretty good job of sort of outlining those at those sort of characteristics of the pad in our review. And I'd still recommend people go and read that in depth because you will have a feel for how it's going to fit, how it's going to flex, how it's going to move. But Cam reiterated a lot of it. So it was good to hear that that was the feedback that he was getting. And I think above all, um, you know, and Hutch touched, touched on this as well. And I mentioned in the interview with Cam, like, like I've got three junior A guys now that have tried this pad gone into it completely uncertain about what to expect. Um, one in CCM and and two others that weren't. And within a few days of trying it, order it. Like, just really, really like the pad. What did they like? They thought, I thought it was interesting because I've had guys test in, in speed skin before and notice the difference, but it's because, you know, a lot of them weren't in it originally. They were They were coming out of just a regular Gen Pro CCM. This time I had a guy say the same thing and I'm like, well, oh, were you like, were you in a different brand? Were you in a different, you know, were you in, um, were you, had you not tried speed skin before? He's, oh no, I had speed skin on my eFlex. This slides better. Like speed skin on this pad with that firmer inside edge and that thinner profile, this slides better. And they, like I said, that inner edge has all been sort of stiffened up and it's firmer and it slides. So that's kind of the feedback. We've got the rebounds that you talked about. Um, you know, and, and we talked about the junior A guys. I don't know Hutch, like I don't know if Dylan Ferguson is ordering access or if he's sticking with with Eflex, but similar type of feedback from him the first time he tried it as well. Yeah. Yeah. I know he was certainly intending to order it right after he, he tried it. And he's a, an incredibly athletic goaltender and really wants something that moves with him and is responsive and has been a tried and true Eflex wearer for years and wore them once and I want these. So 
Uh, and then similar to you, I, I've had them on probably four or so junior A guys as well. And, and almost without exception, they were just ready to make a purchase right away. So, um, as I said, when, when we were talking offline here, I think it was enough of a departure as a line that people were a little bit skeptical when they first saw it and the proof is in the wearing. Yeah, and, and and without the ability to do that, I think the best I could sum it up, and, and may, hopefully I'm right on this, Hutch, but like I think people, like Premier, was a, it was that steep boot, it was that really stiff pad, stiff boot, moved around your leg. There was no connection. It was designed to be worn loose. This pad has the flex and fit of an E-flex, but it's just stiffer up through the knee and into the thigh. Yeah. That like... R- the yeah, so you're still able to play like a Dylan Ferguson can play that athletic style and feel connected to the pad down low and feel like the boot is really flexing with his foot, but it just has a little more of that structure and and firmness to the shape up top. And it's not like it's super stiff. It's not like we're not talking like Corey Crawford Premier One rail state rail straight. You might as well put a sheet of plywood on these things. Like it's not that stiff, but it's stiffer, not as soft on the face as the E Flex is. As we talked to Cam mentioned in the interview, max rebound times too. So they took that that foam that we've teased on Ingle where you drop the ball and it bounces all the way back up and they doubled the thickness on it on this one compared to the past and still managed to cut the weight. So there's a lot to like about this pad. I'm, I'm dying to get it on the ice myself. i am really been relying on secondhand reviews and all these junior A guys we're getting it on just because my world and, and, and some of the situation at home, I, I'm not able to sort of take that risk from a COVID perspective, but boy, I can't wait till I do. Even with my skinny legs, you can have a real uh, solid connection to the pad. Like it, it can tighten up. I like wearing it uh, a little bit tighter, but I, you can wear it. Uh, the, the the fluidness of and flexibility of of how tight you want to wear it is uh, is really there. And that that was one thing that I was uh, wondering about going into it, and it it's it's right there. So it works for the old school guys too. Works for uh, works for definitely old school. Well, I look good in it. I'll, I'll say that. Uh, talking about an old school guy, he's a couple of years younger than uh, than Hutch and I, but uh, Jenny Nabokov uh, is a great person to talk to right now because we have uh, are going to have an all-Russian Stanley Cup final with starting goaltenders. So, uh, Woody, uh, as you are going to chat with uh, Nabby here in just a little bit, give me an idea uh, on the background and, and where the connection came with the, with chatting with the uh, with the man that I used to call Johnny Nabokov uh, because it was easier to say when I was doing the highlights back in the day. Well, Nabby's one of the guys that uh, was very good to us when I first started out before even um, before even in goal, actually, back in the old goalie news days with Ian Clark. Um, did a couple of feature stories on him. And, and you know, this was part of that generation. Remember when I was first learning the position and learning and writing about it, you know, et cetera, early 2000s, like he was in his heyday playing like 70 games a year, still getting up off the wrong leg, or I should say the same leg, no matter which direction he was going. And we used to have like conversations about that. Like, and Wayne Thomas, the goalie coach at the time, another guy who a lot of, you know, the older school people will know from his playing career as well, would like, I remember once he was kind of upset because I wrote about the delays in getting up off the wrong leg and he broke down the footage and showed me Nabby was so quick with the footwork that he was able to recover off the wrong leg and still make a push in sort of frame by frame, similar time frames as what some of the the bigger, not as agile guys were doing with a proper butterfly push. So he kind of sort of called me on it and showed me the video. And so, and that opened just, Nabby's just a great guy and conversations over the years from there on during his playing days were always great. 
had the pleasure of getting to be on the ice with him as he was coaching uh, up at Net360 in Kelowna, I want to say about three years ago, Hutch, he was up there and uh, just like, just like salt of the earth, hilarious. Everybody loves him, but also to hear and see some of his coaching, some of the skating drills looked a little different, little old school. Um, funny. Like Can you I, give it a, 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 just a lot, a lot more edge work, a lot more narrow, okay. narrow stance. Um, Visitinggoalmag.com and you might even find one there. Oh, that's a good point. We do have yeah, one of those we've old We've got one up on premium drills. in the pro drill section. That's right. So just, you know, just a little more skating. And, and of course, we think of him with that narrow stance. And the irony is yeah. the games really come back to that, right? You can't be... So when we were on the ice three years ago, that transformation hadn't even really started. And so when I say it looked old school, um, you know, yeah, a lot of guys are focusing on edge control and stuff, but a lot of goalies were still playing locked in low and wide. And as the stances have narrowed up, as we talked about in the conversation, Kind of starting to look more and more like Nabby. Maybe not like the pads straight together against the post old school, but um, more and more like that. So uh, just a chance to catch up with a guy that I've, every time I talk to him, I enjoy the conversation about the position and well-timed, I think. Um, the conversation was sparked by uh, my interest in, in talking to him about the evolution of Russian goaltending originally and the fact that we had already set a record in the conference finals. These conference finals were the first time in NHL history that we had three Russian goaltenders. And I should put a caveat in there. Nabi is from Kazakhstan originally, played for the Russian national team, as is Anton Hudobin. So Kazakhstan by birth, but both identify as Russian goaltenders, played for the Russian national team. So I feel sort of safe saying that. So first time we've ever had three Russian goaltenders uh, in the in the conference finals. And now the first time we're going to have two Russian goalies starting in the Stanley Cup final. Um, I thought your Golden Knights were going to make that a hard hard thing to do, Darren, to be honest. I thought we'd have a Sweden, a Russian in there, but with uh, Hudobin uh, advancing and Varlamov and Vasilevsky on the other side, it's pretty much guaranteed, And um, which means we're going to have for just the second time in NHL history a starting goaltender win the Stanley Cup as a Russian. There's been two Russians that have won the Cup. Um, Nikolai Havibulin, and that was the last time we had even with two Tampa. goalies in the conference finals. Yeah, he was with Tampa in 2004, and that's the last time we had two Russian goalies in the conference finals because Navi was actually there with the Sharks on the other side of the draw. And Ilya Brzezgalov won it as a backup in 2007, though to be fair, uh, it probably doesn't do justice to just say he was a backup because that was the year that Jiggy missed part of the first round um, you know, with the birth of his son and some complications there. And Briz stepped in and won three games there. So two guys have won it. We're going to have a third. And so an exciting time for Russian goaltending. And, and Nabby's a guy who, you know, as you'll hear, uh, he actually was Anton Hudobin's... Well, Doby told me he was the closest thing he had to a first goalie coach when he went back to Kazakhstan in the summers and shared some drills and some skating things and some off-ice training that Doby still does today. And the best part is it uh, was one of those, uh, can you come and speak to the kids? And Jen Nabokov did it, and it was it really stuck with Anton Hudobin, one of those things, and then they kind of connected after. But it wasn't one of those ones where they had an instant relationship. It kind of cycled back, and then they bonded. And, well, to hear Nabokov uh, tell the story is uh, really interesting. Uh, over 500 games played, one of the narrowest stances I can remember in the modern era. And it, it just... 
with my bow legs, I've you just couldn't do it uh, the the way the way the body shaped up. But it's really cool the way he approached the game, and uh, won forty games three times, so world champion, Olympian, and uh, a great ambassador to the sport. Uh, now the goaltending coach of the San Jose Sharks, and an infectious personality. Uh, you'll get a, a real feel of that as uh, Nabokov chats with Woodley on In Goal Radio, the podcast with our feature interview presented by the Hockey Shop, source for sports, Surrey. Navi, I just I wanted to hop in with kind of a conversation you and I had really quickly the other day, and thank you very much for giving me a couple minutes the other day to help me with an article and some quotes. Um, it's kind of two parter. It's what you're seeing in the playoffs from um, the three Russian goaltenders who are who are still playing. And sort of the evolution of the position in Russia and all this, we're seeing a trend where NHL teams uh, are looking closer there and having a lot of success finding goaltenders over there. Uh, And I know I say Russia, it's kind of a a catch-all. You know, obviously, uh, Hudobin, like yourself, is originally from Kazakhstan, but played, you know, internationally for the Russian team. So when you watch Hudobin and Vasilevsky and Varlamov, almost three different tiers or generations of goaltenders that have come over like what are you seeing right now in this in the conference finals well it just you, you see kind of another level uh of goaltending right now i think um you know the guys are so uh detailed uh the guys are so uh well prepared for the game and they have a game plan and uh, you know i i just think it's you know that new generation of uh a goaltending, it's 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 a little bit the the other level of uh, um, uh, goaltending. So, and uh, I'm really proud to to watch the um, you know all the boys are battling out there, and uh, you know hopefully we will see two Russian goalies in the in the um, in the finals. What do you you have a, a history uh, a little bit? It goes away back. I'm wondering if you could could fill us in because I remember talking to Doby uh, a couple of years ago, and he talked about. You coming back for the summer, coming back home for the summer, and that was his first opportunity to get to work with you. And you taught him some things on and off the ice in terms of training that he told me he still uses today. Uh, what do you remember of that and your role sort of the first time you got to meet him and work with him? Well, you know, like I now it's a different type of uh, preparation, right? So now we have so many different uh, camps going on in Russia and obviously everywhere. It's not just in Russia, but, uh, um, and people are going to different camps in the summer, two or three different camps and work in a specific, uh, uh, stuff. Well, back in the day, it's almost didn't exist. Um, like, especially in Russia, I don't remember anybody having, a, um, you know, any type of camp or clinics for the goalies other than Tretiak was doing in Toronto. Um, and when I, when I went back and it was back in 90, if I remember correctly, 98 or 99. So I, I went back and to my hometown to spend the summer. And, uh, one of my friends who was coaching Doby, um, and a bunch of other guys, young kids, they, I think were about 13 uh, or 12 or 13, uh, back then. And he just asked me, do you mind coming and, and talking to the kids and, uh, you know, show them a couple drills on and off the ice. And uh, I agree to that. And, you know, to be honest with you, it's, you know, when Dobie talked about it, like 
you know, I remember him, but I don't remember the rest of the guys. Apparently, it was the other kids out there who also had a decent careers. And, uh, you know, you, you just go and you talk to the kids and you, you tell them what you like to do. You, you talk about the preparation. You talk about the warm-ups. And, you know, there's just a goalie general stuff. Nothing too special out there the way it is now, how detailed every single camp is. Um, so that's how me and him connected. And so it, it's a little bit surprised me at times that the little conversation can stick with the kids that much, you know, but it's, it's a good, it was good example of, uh, you know, that some kids are really taking it to the heart uh, even at 12 or 13 years old when somebody talks to them. So I was a little bit surprised. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> That's funny. I think he was around 13. Um, where, do, where do you sit on that? Because now you're working as a goaltending coach with the San Jose Sharks. Uh, you were involved with their develop, like the, on, the, on the development side up until this year. Uh, that transition from playing to coaching and what you see uh, in kids. I know you've done some work with your son's team in terms of young goaltenders. Where do you come out on this? Because I know one of the things that Dobie said when he goes back now to Russia, he worries that all those camps, as good as they are, maybe sometimes at too young of an age, they get a little too technical, a little too specific. Like obviously he plays uh, on a lot of instinct and still has a good technical foundation, but there's instinct there. And he worries about trying to make everyone look like Bob or everyone look like Vasa. Where do you come out on, like, at what age do you think you need to start introducing the technical stuff? Because, you know, other guys like Alexander Georgiev told me that when he was younger, it was all old school skating stuff. And as much as maybe he didn't always love it because he would be exhausted from hours of skating, he sees now the value of the foundation that was laid versus maybe at seven, eight years old being taught something like a reverse VH. So, I mean, again, I don't know, you know, what's right, what's wrong, because a lot of people can argue over, you know, certain philosophies, you know, what's right, what's wrong for the goalies. Uh, My thing is, you know, I don't want to go and change the goal and make everybody play on the reverse VH or VH or over post or, you know, whatever that is, you know, as long as, like, my goal is always, you have to know every and each way to play certain situation. And then it's your choice to decide in the game how you want to play that. Because obviously, you know, you, you can play reverse VH, but is the guy is a righty or he's a lefty, on what side he's, how deep he is. That, you know, it goes so many little details into that play. And, you know, I, I actually was, was laughing another day where Varley – Varley was standing up on the post. He just put the two pads together and he, he's, he didn't go down. But he doesn't do this every single time. He does it once in a while. Grice does the same thing sometimes on the shootouts. Yep. You know, like where he doesn't go down, he just put the two pads together and the puck hits him. So, and that's when you talking about and Dobie talking about, it's an instinct. And that's what I 100% agree with 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 them that you don't want to make it too robotic. You want to talk to the kids and, you know, make sure they know how to do it. They have to know how to do it, but you know, it's their choice 
what they're going to do. So that's how I look at things. I Again, I don't know if it's right or wrong, but that, that's kind of my thing. Well, isn't that the beautiful thing about this position? There's never necessarily a right or wrong on anything, right? It, it, it is so unique to the goaltender themselves. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And, but, but, some, but some people, you know, some people may think, you know, you have to play in the reverse VH, you know, and how you can argue that. If, if the guy is 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, and he does reverse VH really well, and his hips doesn't bother him, his ankle doesn't bother him when he's going in it, well, good for him. Play it. Don't give up goals, and then nobody's going to question you. That's how simple that is, right, really. I want to get get into sort of your upbringing. Like we talked about, it was a different back then. Not a lot of, uh, none of the goalie schools are sort of what we'd consider modern uh, approaches to camps and things like that. How'd you fall in love with the position? Where did, where did the passion that you have for goaltending start? Well, I think mine came kind of naturally from my dad, right? So I used to go to practices with him and hang out at, at the rink. And, uh, you know, we like, me and my dad, we talked about it all the time, and he goes, I, I just have no idea that you, you know, you will be a goalie. You just ask one day for the, for the gear, and we got you a gear, and that was the rest of it. So, you know, back in the day, you know, now a lot of people talk about, you know, who is your idol, who is your this, but back in the 80s, at least in Russia, it just, you like it, then you go play. You, you don't put too much into you know, thinking, because don't forget, like, I don't know how, how it was in Canada or in the U.S., but in Russia, in the 80s, it literally was three, four channels, hockey channels. And the only way you can watch a hockey if the national team is playing at the World Championship or you have uh, some really big games like uh, Red Army, TSK against Dinamo or Spartak or something like that, where it's like, you know, prime time kind of uh, game. And that's about it. And it wasn't that often. So, you know, for me, everything came from my local hockey um, team. You know, my dad played for the team. All the, my buddies were hockey players. It was a hockey, hockey community. And to me, it's kind of came as a second nature. You know, everything was based on the home grown team so and you, your dad victor played i think 18 years professional um in, yep. in both russia and kazakhstan now he did i read somewhere that he actually started a goaltending school in your hometown at one point was he ahead of the curve maybe not what we think of as today's goalie schools but it sounds like he was he was ahead of his time a little bit yeah well in russia we so each club like let's let's take the you know san jose sharks as, as a club right yep. so they would be the, the NHL club. Well, everything underneath, you have, you know, all the ages coming underneath because the, the junior sharks would feed the big club. That's how it was set up in Russia. Okay. Every junior age of age group, eventually they would feed the, the main club. So that's how we had, a, 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 you know, my dad was a goalie coach and uh, we, you know, in Russia back then, we never had, you know, three different teams of 1975 born. We really had only one. They pick the best ones and they go with that, and that's it. 
So, you know, the other kids would be skating somewhere else. And that's how the team was set up. And uh, so it's like in the States here, it's AAA, I, I would say. Right. Um, something like that. And, you know, my dad happened to be, you know, coaching us. And, uh, you know, we would have once a week for sure, we would have hour and a half, a long time, nothing but goalies. So we would have all the ages going on the same ice sheets. And, uh, you know, we didn't have even shooters. We didn't know it was no shooters. It's all about technique, playing the puck. We would play literally, you know, three on three uh, with the gloves and blockers. We would play a scrimmage. Really? (laughs) Believe it or not. Yeah. Yeah. It was, you know. Well, because it would make you a, it would make you a great skater. It would help your puck control, your puck handling. Like, there's a lot of. I'm not surprised that you were yeah. good in all those regards. Yeah, keep your head up. You know all those things, right? And you, you hold the edges. You, you know, poke checking the pucks and all that, right? So, and we we did this quite a bit, and um, you know, eventually, you know. Oh, so the birth years were 75, 76, and 74, mostly. So we had six goalies and then we're younger guys, 77. All those guys at some point played in kind of a high, you know, high level of hockey. You know, some have played in the NHL, some have played in AHL, and some of it played, you know, big in the, like, I think two or three guys played in the Olympics for Kazakhstan later on. Wow. And also they played, well, now it's KHL, but back then it wasn't the KHL. It was a different name for the league, but uh, they played on those teams. So they all played pro in a pretty, pretty good level. So, and in Russia, it's always been like this. The the, the, the goalie school always been strong. It just, at some point, you know, not everybody wants to move. Not everybody wants to leave the, the country and go somewhere else. Um, you know, I, I'm sure you heard of the name Vasily Koshichkin, who is a six-five and probably as big as Robert Leonard. You know, he could easily play in the NHL, but he decided not to come. And I, I have a bunch of examples like this. And uh, pretty strong goaltending school, and you know, you have the. Obviously, the past with, you know, Tretiaks and Mishkins and Delashakins and, you know, so it's, it's kind of a tradition. And at some point, I'm not going to lie, at some point, I think, uh, I would say probably early 90s, yeah. it's been a little bit off track. It has been off track a little bit. Um, but I think in, in early 2000s, you know, it started coming back and, um, you know, I think Trechak has a lot to do with that. Um, so he helped out big time in, in Russia to, to help the young goalies grow and have more opportunities to play. Right. And we talked about that the other day. Just, I mean, get, making sure that the teams in the KHL are using homegrown talent. And now you're seeing that homegrown talent um, have success, not just there, but all over the world. And here in the NHL, the Shesterkins, the Sorokin coming over, um, Vasilevsky. Yep. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, makes a lot of sense. What was it like for you? So you played you played three years in your hometown team. I'm assuming at the pro level. 
And then you get drafted by the San Jose Sharks. Um, ninth round. I don't know that they even got to see you play. I don't think we have a ninth round anymore. Did you even know you'd been picked? Like, what was it like? What was it like in '94? Because I don't think they even contacted you till '97. So, walk us. Because everyone, a lot of people listening, think of the draft nowadays. It's on TV, and everybody knows. But what was it like back then? Well, it's. I think the story has been told quite a bit, right? But um, so I, at the age of 19, I moved to Dynamo Moscow. So I I went to Moscow actually right in '94. And we have in a training camp, and um, somebody somebody just brought the newspapers, and we were in the sauna just reading newspapers and chatting. And somebody goes, "Hey, do you know that you get drafted?" And we just had a good laugh, like, "Yeah, whatever." So, what does that mean? Well, nothing, okay? Because the goal <laughs> is literally was to you know to try to make the Dynamo team because right, you know, back in the day. I think for everyone, you know, from, uh, you know, from far away from Moscow, everybody wants to make, make that Moscow teams. One of the Moscow teams was huge, especially Dynamo and CSKA. Yeah. You know, those ones were the top, top teams because if you make that team, you know, then you have a good chance to make it to the national team. And that's how, you know, we were thinking, me and my dad, so... We were hoping to make the team. We were hoping to make the national team later on. And, you know, that's all what we were thinking of. You know, to be honest with you, you know, the news about the draft, it was it was no news, really, to be honest with you. Like, okay, good. But it, it kind of was, I don't want to say unreachable, but it wasn't the goal. It was out of mind. It's, yes, it was out of mind. It was, you know, I, I had to, I knew that I had to take care of, you know, different things first. So I guess that's why I wasn't that excited, actually. And yeah, nobody called, nobody, <laughs> you know, it was different times. It, it, yeah. You know, I don't think so. It's right or wrong. It's just different times. It, well, you know, especially in the ninth, ninth round or eighth round, whatever that was. Um, well, Nobody I hadn't, cared, I hadn't heard the sauna story, so that's a good one, and our listeners are going to love that one. So you spent three years yeah. at, at, at Dynamo and, and Dynamo, and, and you win a league championship there, I think in your first season, actually. Um, when, yeah. when did you start thinking about coming over? How hard a decision was that? Because as you said earlier, um, you know that wasn't necessarily the goal for most guys, and a lot of guys came over and just, you know, like, you know, whether it was uh, Tarasov, uh, whose son is in the uh, Columbus organization? I looked, I looked his his experience up, and like after 14 games in the American League, he just went home, which was understandable at the time. What was the decision like for you to come over? What was the process like? And through that, I want to get to a big name and a big influence, Warren Strelo. But first of all, how tough was it to make the decision, and then to sort of get through those first couple of years where it it's not straight to the NHL like for some guys it is now. So. You know, in the first three years uh, in um, playing for Dynamo, we won the championship twice. Uh, we won the first year and I think the, the, the third year. And we were in the finals in European League, which has been played before, which is were pretty big. And we went to the finals and we lost to uh, TPS in the finals. And that's when, you know, first time John Ferguson and... Uh, uh, Wayne Thomas, um, 
I met them at the, um, in Helsinki. I think it was Helsinki. We were in Helsinki and, uh, you know, they approach and, you know, try to talk to me, but, uh, mostly they talk to our managers and stuff. And that's when I think they kind of offer to, for me to, to come next year. And then it was during the season, like, I'm like, ah, you know, I don't know, but I was so happy and I was so, you know, like we had a, such a good time in, in, in Dinamo. It was such a great organization run by the great people. And um, I wasn't sure even if I was even considering at the time, but when the season was over, you know, I think they made another call and then me and my dad, we, we kind of chat and, you know, and he actually said it. He goes, well, you know, you, you won two championships here. He goes, well, it's, it's time maybe to try to, you know, to thinking about something else. He goes, you always can come back here. But if you're going to miss the window, you may never going to go there again. Right. So that's kind of, kind of thinking behind it. And uh, uh, that's when I decided to go in, in 87. Um, and I signed a contract and so how hard was it? Like, I, I think that even today we underestimate and we are naive as North Americans to how big of a, uh, a jump it is, how much of a culture shock it can be and how little help sometimes there is for players coming in a new culture, a new language, all those elements. How tough was it for you at the time? Well, it's, it, it wasn't easy. It's, yeah. you know, now we're looking back, it, it's either going to make you or it's going to break you. So it depends if, you know, if you, if you have that in you to stay patient and, um, you know, because you don't know the language and it was hard to, to order any food. It, it, it was, everything was different. No cell phones, you know, no FaceTimes, no Skype. <laughs> it was nothing like that. Right. So, uh, and, um, you try to communicate and you try to kind of survive. But I think that <clears throat> the toughest thing was, was on the ice, actually than off the ice. Um, because you, you're coming in and, you know, nobody tells you, you know, what they expect, what they want. They just basically saying, okay, go and show me what you can do in a training camp. Right. And then you, you do well in the training camp and, they they tell you that you you're doing really good, a good job, but then they send you to the minors, <laughs> right? And that's where you're like, okay, you're telling me that you're doing a good job, you're telling me that everything is good, but you're going to the to the minors. So it, like every Russian just don't think that way. If you tell me that everything is good, that's mean I have to be in NHL. <laughs> that's how you know a lot of people think that way, but. It obviously it didn't happen that way. And, you know, you have to go to, I had to go to AHL and, and fight it through. And it, you know, it wasn't easy. Um, but, um, so yeah. Well, there are, there are so many guys I'd love to ask you about. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, you played at obviously Vesa, Vesa Toskala, um, Mika Kiprasov was in the organization for a while, but the one I really wanted to hit on for today before we, we, we let you go is the impact that Warren Strelo had on you, um, both in general terms, Nabby, but also specifically what kind of things 
Was he teaching that were maybe new to you at the time that you saw as being really important to all the success you had afterwards in the NHL? And are there any that still, you know, even today are, are sort of core foundational pieces that you work with with your young goalies, whether it's youth or in the development role or right up to the NHL? Well, he's, you know, he, he has been huge for me. And, uh, you know, because he's the, basically the guy who, you know, supported me, you know, even if I didn't have a good game or, you know, I wasn't in the mood to do certain things. He was so patient with me and he, you know, he, he was a teacher before, right? So he knew how to handle the psychological part. And, you know, he always was telling me, you know, be patient, be patient. At some point, I was telling him, I'm like, I don't want to be patient. I want to now, right? And, um, you know, he's always just been there, you know. And on the ice, his thing was that you have to move well on the ice. And we we changed certain things. We went away from the too many C-cuts in the crease. We went, you know, more about straight line. And now if you, if you watch, you know, all the successful goalies, that, that's what makes you successful. You, you know, you, you almost don't have too many C-cuts anymore. You know, a couple of guys using it, but uh, it's more of a, you know, you're moving in the crease with the shuffles and um, at times maybe he pushes, but you work on that like crazy. Um, and then he's been big on the, on the stick, you know, to deflect everything with the stick which is kind of, I think, went away a little bit in the NHL, but I, I'm seeing it now. It, it starts coming back to, um, you know, the guys who can, want to control the rebounds, you know, using the sticks more to deflect the pucks in the corner. And, you know, so those things, he's been really good with me. And, we, you know, we did specific drills. We did the specific work. Uh, but then the CBA changed, right? So then everybody decide that no, no more, no more camps, no more nothing. So clubs were, weren't able to do it. So, and I was, you know, we couldn't find any more coaches who can work with you in the summer, you know? So, but, um, he's been everything for me. So. It's it's interesting to hear that because I forgot you would have been allowed to do a lot more work back then, and nowadays it it yeah it has kind of changed what goalies can do, and that's got to affect you as a goaltending coach right now in terms of having to be careful and like all the different Correct. things you can and exactly. can't do. Is that is that frustrating at times? Because I know I talk to the goalies, and they want to work quite often with the guys who are who are part of the team, and they can't. So it's a tough line. It's a tough line for you guys. That and well. Yeah, go ahead. Kev, I, you know what? I just don't understand. And like, I mean, I, I get it. You know, NHLPA and everybody involved, and you know, they doing a decision for the players, this and this. But all the players, all the goalies, what they do now, they all go into the camps. They all working on something. Like goalies go to two or three camps uh, right before the training camp. You know. Yep. And 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 they they basically doing what we used to do with let's say Warren, I just going to go on my example. Yeah. We would go to Minnesota, all the, all the goalies who belongs to the club goes and we work on stuff. So it's kind of the same thing right now, but now you have to pay out of your pocket, everything 
to find those private coaches and it's it's just not easy to to find uh you know the guy you really like well so and it, it doesn't it, it'd be better if they could work with a guy they're going to work with all season because as you know Sometimes the changes you'd need to make in a goalie, I mean, practice time is so hard to find in season. You'd be better to start that process with a guy. Like you said, not that you're trying to change him completely, but those little refinements would be better to start if you had a chance to work with him in the summer rather than trying to carve it out of the practice time in a tough schedule. 100%. Yeah, 100%. If you want to work on something and change certain things, you know, little details, the best way to do it in you know, that easy environment uh, and you can go on the ice and specifically work on that and you specifically can break it down, you know, how to do it. And, uh, but, you know, again, you know, now it's better for probably for the private coaches because now they have the, you know, ability to, to make income and the, so now instead of the team doing this, it, it, you know, the private coaches do all that, which is, I guess, fine as long as, you know, they know what they're doing. Right, right, <laughs> so. right, right. Hey, last one, because um, we're at that time limit, but how have you enjoyed what's been the hardest and the best part of transition from playing to coaching? Um, obviously, guys play a different style than you did. Uh, the stances, although interestingly enough, Navi, like, you know, that trend towards a narrower stance is coming back and something that you thrived on in your <laughs> career. Hey, everything everything old is new again. Like, what do you love about it? What keeps you passionate about it? And what's been the biggest adjustment? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm in hockey, right? So it's, th- that's the best thing. You're in hockey, you're with the hockey mind, you you know, around, you know, hockey players, you're around the coaches. And, you know, when you, like, I've been in hockey since I was, what, let's say from fourth grade, it's been legitimately probably two times a day. And all what you know, like friends, everything is hockey, 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 everything around hockey. And uh, to be around hockey, I guess that's that's what I like, uh, to be around the group of uh, those type of group of guys and being on the ice and communicating and, you know, sometimes you're having a good time, sometimes you don't, right? Because if you lose and things didn't go well, so then it's no such a good time anymore. You have to fix it. You have to, you know, work on stuff. You have to watch the video, which is a, you know, working process. It's great um, to, again, to do what you love. So it's been kind of, I would say, it's, I don't want to say it's easy, but it's something you love to do. And, uh, that, that's all I can ask for. And, uh, you know, I guess the challenge is to, to communicate with different personalities. For me, that's what, you know, when you're a player, you don't have to deal with that. You just go and play. Now, when you're a coach, you have to deal with different personalities. Everybody has, you know, just different, right? People are different. So, you know, you have to adjust to that. Um, which is also give you a good, uh, you know, um, life uh, lessons where, you know, everybody's opinion is matter. That's what I'm learning. And it's not just your opinion. It's not just your stuff. It, uh, you, you have to learn how to listen also. So. That's, that's a good lesson. It's a part-time psychologist and, and psychiatrist, frankly, in that job these days. And you, you're right. <laughs> you do have to know it all. 
Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay, Navi, hey, listen, I uh, can't thank you enough for this time. Like I said, I know our audience is going to love this conversation. I really appreciate it. I know you have been busy. Um, so thank you so much for giving us a half hour. And I'm going to, you know, there's so much other stuff. I mean, you played 43 games in a row one year. Like the 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 era of the workhorse goaltender. So many things I want to talk to you about. So let's, why don't we just save that for maybe next year? We'll catch up for a part two. How does that sound? Okay. Sounds good. We can do that. All right. Thanks. Thanks, Nabby. We'll Thank talk you to time, you soon. Kel. fascinating conversation he is uh of of an era that uh that i watched almost uh, all of his games and being able to to listen to him talk about not only uh goaltending today but his goaltending journey and then you look at uh at russian goaltenders over the years and we all know trechiak and mishkin and uh and then we're more familiar with uh, with the goaltenders that are trying to break through right now and then we have the three goaltenders in the conference finals and can you can you guys say with certainty that there is a quote unquote style of Russian goaltending? No, and you know what I, w- I was going to say too. The one thing that Nabby and I and I don't think he really we didn't hit it on in this interview as much, but he gave me a couple minutes the day before for a column I had to write. And one thing he wanted to stress, so if he didn't get a chance to in this interview, I want to make sure I stress it for him is there was always good Russian goaltending. He really believed that, mm-hmm. and he talked a lot about uh, Tarasov's. And, and of course, Daniel Tarasov is now a really high-end prospect for the Columbus Blue Jackets. Well, his dad was drafted uh, by the Montreal Canadiens. They convinced him to come over, but then they sent him to the American League. And, you know, the 14 games later, he wanted to go home. And so there was a lot of guys that just didn't come over and give it the shot like Navi did and grind through, you know, a year or two years in the American League. And so, so maybe that's why it's taken so long for this influx we see now. But I think you're right. I mean, look at look at Hudobin, um, you know, comparisons to Tim Thomas. And I think he's got a little more technical foundation because, hey, it's eight years later, right? Somebody yeah. somebody ripped, somebody commented it on, on a social media post about about Hudobin and Thomas and said how Hudobin had way more structure and Thomas didn't do this and Thomas didn't do that. I'm like, Tim Thomas won a cup before the RVH was even being used in North America. Like, it's a while ago, right? Nine yeah. years ago. So, um, but then you look at at uh, Varlamov, very structured, uh, but still, you know, some uniqueness in his stance elements. Actually, some of the glove stuff that that New York has tried to to not beat out of him, but take out of him a little bit to sort of tighten things up. And then, you know, Vasilevsky, who's just is probably, he a hybrid of the two? Yeah, he's probably a little more, yeah, a little more technical. But then that layer of athleticism and yeah. the ability to go outside the box and make saves behind his back, whether you should or not, you can. And just the power he has, like he's just a freak. They call him Big Cat for a reason. Might be the best goalie in the NHL. Um, so yeah, it's it's interesting. And what's really interesting to me is that lack of sort of one unified way of doing things is a lot of what the NHL goalie people I talk to find attractive about Russian goaltending right now is they haven't all been put in the same technical box. They don't get overcoached at too young an age and. The question, of course, is how long will that last? Because anytime you have a rush to the position, there's also a rush to coaching it. And Nabby talked about the improvements in coaching, but you know, eventually what happens is that coaching tends to creep down to too young an age and they become a little too structured and they lose some of the instinct that that guys to this point have had to survive on up until later years. Um, so it'll be interesting to see like Eskarov, uh, 
is obviously going to be the first goaltender pick in this year's draft. Could be even higher than Spencer Knight was taken last year. And yet I watch him and I see a lot of Sergei Bobrovsky. And I'm reminded of my conversation with Anton Hudobin a year and a half ago when he told me about his experiences with Nabby. And when Doby now goes back and does the mentorship thing, he's the guy that comes in and talks to the kids. One of the things he's worried about, he says, they all want to be Bob. They all want to look like Bob. Well, you can't all be Bob. You're not all supposed to be Bob. You don't all play like Bob. You don't all move like Bob. Why do you all want to be like Bob? And when I watch a scare off, I see a lot of Bob. And so I'm curious. I don't know because the scare has got, like he moves incredibly well. But I'm curious when I hear Anton Hudobin say they're all be, they all want to play like and they're all being taught to play like this guy. And now I see this really highly regarded prospect who plays like that guy. I wonder if this is the start of that. I don't think so. But at some point, that's going to happen. It seems to inevitably happen with most development paths. So we've seen it happen with Sweden. So everybody sort of starts to look the same. Not, Ooh, wow. not necessarily a good thing. No, but I don't know. I, I've been listening to you talk about this for, for a long time, Woody, and I'm not always on board with it. And one of the things that I loved about this interview is I, I got a sense that there was a lot of coaching going on there and that it, it is an okay thing. What I was hearing from him. And I would argue it's not necessarily that coaching is a bad thing at a young age. It's that it has to be proper coaching and has to acknowledge some of those opportunities to develop athleticism and not be cookie cutter. And uh, the risk of upsetting people, you know, it's a little too easy to get into goalie coaching. And as a result, everybody just who's played the game can, can give it a go. Um, there's a difference between just getting out there and showing the kids a few things and actually being a master coach. And I think it's okay to coach young kids. Well, I'll give um, you an example of the type of coaching that he's talking about because you would just go to Alexander Georgiev. And so the coaching that he got and that a lot of these guys got at a young age isn't what we, th- it's not butterfly. Put- like Georgiev talks about skating for two straight hours without ever seeing a shot. Just skate, 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 skate. And now his movement is the foundation of his game. But that there would be the difference versus him at a young age, just skate, 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 versus at seven or eight years old, we're teaching post-integration. The line of the interview to me was when Nabokov said, Nabby, to his friends, like Woody, said, we teach the goaltenders all the different ways to make the save, but then it's up to the athlete to go out and pick the one that they want to use. Great and I thought, I've never heard it put in that language before. Uh, you're not teaching just RVH or VH or post-integration, double up uh, uh, on the post. They, they, know, they have to know it all, and then you pick. And I thought that was kind of cool. That's a great point, and we've talked about that with respect to, to kids learning to work with different coaches. It's just another tool in the toolkit, and you might as well learn what they're teaching you. And it is another tool for you to later employ. And I've said before, I think there's, we need to sort of periodize this. There is a time when you can give some coaching and then there's a time when you have to stand back and let them take those tools and apply them and see what they can do with them. There has to be some experimental opportunities, I think, on the ice. Well, and I think the biggest thing is to come back to it is it's how early you introduce some of that structured thing. And the word that that was used with me by someone over there is not become too institutionalized. And that's what the strength mm-hmm. of Russian goaltending is. It's not too institutionalized at too young an age in terms of technique. Goalies, wow. goalies develop with quality skill. 
but also compete and instincts and reactivity rather than learning too much technical too soon. So like I think we're saying the same thing. That's that's basically the difference. It's still good coaching. It's just at what age do you introduce too much of what I what what this person used, the word he used was institutionalized. And interestingly enough, this was sent to me as part of prep for an interview with Vladislav Tretiak that I hope actually happens after we finish recording tonight. Um, the only downside is I found out this afternoon that we're not going to be used to use it on the podcast because he he's going to be using a translator. So I was kind of hoping to be able to sneak in a Vladislav Tretiak interview next week for us too, but um, we'll be able to at least write it up and have it up on the website uh, as well as at NHL.com. So, um, and that's that's sort of what they've tried to do is make sure that you don't get too structured, too institutionalized at too young an age. See, that's another sign of how much the world has changed. Like under Tikhonov and the the Red Army, like that that was a the structured of a of a program as you were ever going to find in in sports. Never mind hockey. And uh, now but- we. But, but I don't know, Darren, like, yes, it was an incredibly structured program. But when we first bumped into the Red Army teams in 72, wasn't it that flow and creativity in their game that sort of blew people away? So I think you can have those two things. I think you can have some structure in your teaching and still allow creativity in how you then employ it. Does that yeah, make any maybe sense? look a little bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I, that, that that's fair. Well, and 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 that kind of goes back to what I meant. Like, it you, you were right, Hutch. It's not about not coaching. It's about what you're coaching at what age and when. And so, Georgiev getting all these skating drills. He even called them old school Trechiak Russian skating drills. Yeah. We talked about Navi and the old school drills. That's what he did. And we see we knew coaches here in the Lower Mainland who actually sometimes get overlooked, but have an exceptional record of turning out high end goalies. And what their strength is, is skating, skating, skating at a young mm-hmm. age. It's all skill. It's all fun. It's all skating development. I think it can get a little too, there can be just a little too much too soon. That's all. And that's the so argument we, I hear from a lot of people. So fair to say a Russian goaltender doesn't have a distinct style, like Russian goaltending doesn't have a distinct style? Um, I think it's fair to say that to this point, it hasn't been as distinct. I mean, okay. at the end of the day, it's not like they're not butterflying. No, no, right, and yeah. at, and at the end of the day, as much as everybody wants to make the Tim Thomas comparison with Anton Hudobin, and as much as what makes the highlight reel is 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 Doby swimming on his belly and kicking out his legs and doing, you know, um, scorpion saves, the reality is if you watch his skating, his structure, and his reads, those are all at a very high level that I would think we would want to teach every kid. Like he beats plays on his feet, set square. He reads he's patient, plays. Yeah. He anticipates. He doesn't commit early. He battles through. I, th- I thought, you know, frankly, one of the issues for Vegas was they did get traffic, but it was always just one. And so one, Hudobin, despite being five foot eleven, which is another thing we can talk about, is able to manage that. He can find sight lines around that. He can't look over it like an Andre Vasilevsky can, but he's good enough at, at at sort of picking a side and making a read and then getting into the spot after he's made that read. Patience, edge work, power, beating plays to the top of the crease, beyond the top of the crease. Like the those are all skills that we should want in every goaltender. The mix and the blend, maybe in Russia, isn't Hockey as sense. isn't as unified. It's not as the same for everyone. It shouldn't be the same for anyone in any country. 
I watched uh, Vassy do that uh, stand straight up and little bunny hop over top. <laughs> it, was, it was unbelievable. I was just watching it about uh, 10 minutes ago. Uh, well, not 10 minutes ago, but before we started this podcast. Uh, is this the golden age for Russian goaltending? And I asked that because I'm curious. 1972 was a long time ago, uh, the influence of uh, Vladislav Tretiak, and then through the 70s into the 80s. And we're seeing the goaltending age, goalie age, golden age of goaltending right now from Russia. Uh, we may just be seeing the start of it, depending on who yeah. you talk to. I mean, I mean, this could be just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, Vasilevsky, we got Bob won two Vesna trophies. Vasilevsky's won one. He's a finalist this year. You had seven Russian goaltenders play a game in the NHL this year. That tied a record. But the role they played was much... The last time we had seven was 2014-15. But the role these guys played was at an absolute high. 232 starts, 136 wins for Russian goaltenders in the National Hockey League this year. Those are both all-time highs, and I didn't have to prorate them for the fact that the season was shortened. They set both those records in a, whatever, 68-game season or 70-game season, an abbreviated season. Those were still records. You add Shesterkin, who's going to have a bigger role next year. You add Sorokin, um, who's who's probably going to have a role in an all-Russian tandem with the Islanders next year, you add a scare off and however long before he comes over, you start to look at the number of Russian names in the prospect pools like Tarasov. Um, there's, there's a, there's a bunch. Washington, right? Right. Yeah. And Samsonov will have a bigger role. Um, uh, the, the one that the Carolina drafted, is it Coach Ketkov? I always mess that one up. Damn it. He was at the world juniors last year and I still don't know how to say his name. Right. <laughs> but like they're big on him. Like I, I think, we are just seeing the start. What I'm most curious about is how long it lasts. Because again, I have that conversation with a lot of these goalie coaches that you know love the fact that a lot of those elements that compete, that instinct, they just feel it stronger over there because it's left to, to develop on its own and flourish a little longer than maybe it is sometimes over here. And they also made a commitment to the KHL to have homegrown talent, right? Yeah, and try to... Nabby talked about that with Trechiak deserving credit where, you yeah. know, there's, there's, I can't remember if it's mandated or incentives, but there's, there's spots there for Russian goaltenders. And, you know, that's the other thing you see, like some of these guys are picked high and, and they, and teams have to wait on them, which can make NHL teams hesitant, but they arrive from the KHL. I don't want to say a finished product because there's an adjustment to a smaller rank, but that game, that East West game where it's patience and pass, 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 dust it off and pass one more time. Like, the ability to have to hold and have patience on edges and and not overcommit playing that style seems to be translating really well. So um, both for the KHL and, and providing more homegrown talent and for a league that seems in some ways to translate, at least from a goaltending perspective, to the National Hockey League, um, those are all positives. So here's a question for you, Woody. As you mentioned them getting more time over there as we have to wait for them to come, is the Canadian kid at a disadvantage because they get their two or three years and then they're overlooked, whereas they're they're able to develop over there. I mean, by the time some of these guys arrive, a Canadian kid at that age, if he hasn't made it, he's not going to make it. Well, this is why I'd recommend NCAA. Yeah. The, the ages we're talking about, this is why I think, if unless you're like surefire, this is why you want to go to NCAA route versus CHL. With all due respect to the CHL, your window's over by, your tw- by the time you're 20. If you haven't peaked at 20, if you haven't hit that, if you haven't raised the attention of scouts, you're probably going to struggle to get an opportunity. If you haven't been drafted, I mean, how many guys do we know now that we think are pretty good goaltenders 
They can't even get a spot in the East Coast Hockey League because teams are going six deep and they're pumping prospects all the way down to the coast. And so if you're not in that food chain, you have you, you don't have much of a chance. And if you're a late bloomer in any way, shape, or form, good luck finding a place to play until you have an opportunity to bloom. Whereas over there, there is more opportunity. I, I, I agree with that. I miss you guys. <laughs> The maybe they'll lines. open the maybe CHL they'll open the border. Double A could be a whole show. That could be a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I I long for the day when you can play in the CHL and then go to the NCAA. Yeah, yeah, not gonna. Not happen. sure that's not gonna I, happen. Yeah, it's not around the corner. I've been waiting for that for a long time. I don't know why. It, we, uh, we we have that up here, Darren. It's called the CIS. Or, I know or, or U Sports. I'm telling you, man. Getting more credit and it, and it works. It's it getting works. more credit. It, yeah. Four years ago, I said that there. Every time I saw a late blooming NCAA college goalie sign a free agent contract with an NHL team, and some of them have been great, and some of them were great. Some of them I watched them, and I'm like, man, there are kids up here that can play coming right. out of Canadian university. They end up going overseas for the most part, but the only one difference is the ones that get the opportunity NCAA tend to be taught like they tend the ones that end up in the CIS up until recent years have all been sub six foot. And so they tend to get teared down and overlooked, but I'm watching these kids and they can play. And again, it's another conversation and we can just keep going, but Anton Hudobin is five foot 11 and he's doing just fine. Thank you very much. Wow. And being creative and having fun while he's uh, while he's doing it, uh, really happy for him. Former Saskatoon Blade uh, Anton Hudobin uh, going to the Stanley Cup Final, the Dallas Stars into the Championship Series for the first time since the year two thousand. Rick Bonus as well. Uh, congratulations taking over that and uh, shows you what uh, what a head coach can do just being part of that group. Uh, Hutch is our coach, and uh, we follow him in lockstep. He sets the tone for us on InGoal Magazine, uh, InGoalMag.com, and InGoal Radio, the podcast. Uh, for Kevin Woodley, in great conversation with uh, Jane Nabokov, and welcome back, Cam, with the Hockey Shop, a source for Sports Surrey, and David Hutchison, the co-founder of InGoal Mag. I'm Darren Lard. Thanks for listening to InGoal Radio, the podcast, presented by the Hockey Shop, source for Sports Surrey. Everything's going to be right again.